Well, we're just going to do, we just ended a series. I'm just going to do a one week, my shortest sermon topic ever, our headliner, God is. God is. When the pilgrims who colonized America were followed right after by the Puritans, we owe our work ethic, the establishment of America, and its morality to the Puritans. The Puritans got here, and there was a major issue that they found, the greatest, was that all the indigenous peoples only had a verbal language and not a written one, and they were all illiterate, and there was a major problem because they said we can never make a difference. We can never change anything without the Word of God. So they went on a mission to teach everyone how to read and write that were indigenous peoples for one single great purpose so that they could know the Word of God. Because without the Bible, we can't know God. It's so difficult to even understand, to even put the eternal God of the universe into our minds without the written Word of God. So they said, what are we going to do? They had nature insufficient. Yes, it does speak of the greatness of God, but we need the eternal Word of God to help us understand. So this is a simple little sermon We're going to learn some things from the Word of God, and we're going to learn who, or I should say what, God is. There are only three nouns in the New Testament to describe God. Lots of adjectives. Righteous is an adjective. Holy, good, just, merciful, wise, jealous, compassionate, peace. We call him the Prince of Peace. Those are adjectives. There's only three nouns that he is this thing. This is not an attribute of him, but he is this to describe him. Now, do you want to know what they are before we jump into this? Okay, that was a test. You all failed. That's not fair. I can't just give them to you, and then that's it, and y'all just want to go eat gumbo because I smelled it when I pulled in the parking lot this morning early. It was already boiling. That whole field is full of the glory of the Lord back there. I can smell it. That's what the Lord's going to smell like. And coffee. <laughs> Gumbo in one hand and coffee in the other. He's going to hug me. Well done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> oh, what a glorious day that'll be. <laughs> okay, focus. There's only three nouns in all of the New Testament. And I'm going to tell you what they are. Then we're going to spend just a little bit of time looking at them. This is, okay, this is a cheat, all right? Y'all get them all on the front end. So y'all need to be glad we're a grace church. Life, light, and love. He doesn't have the attribute of life. He doesn't just give life. He is life. He's not just illuminating light. He doesn't give light, both literally and metaphorically. He is light. He doesn't just show us his love, give us love. He is love. Nouns. In the New Testament, turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. That's a hard concept to give people without the Word of God. You see why the Puritans work so hard to get, them, to get the indigenous peoples of America, and we thank God for this, so that they could read and understand the Word of God, so they could come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
1 John 1, 1 through 7. Let's look at this. Of course, this is the disciple who lived the longest, wrote five books of the Bible, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. He lived way longer than any of the other apostles, and he had a special relationship with Jesus in that he just loved Jesus so much and was not so consumed with the world and, and Roman uh, wanted the Romans to be squished and Israel to come up in this natural kingdom and all the disciples are like, is your kingdom going to come and get rid of these stinking Romans and, and give us Israel back and all those things. John wasn't concerned about that like the other disciples. John was concerned about God, concerned about his kingdom and the way he wanted to do things. So we find him here in 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Now listen to all these senses which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have, he goes right back in it again. He almost gets interrupted. In his wonderful testimony, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. We want you to have the same life we have that's found in Christ. Fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. I'm proclaiming the same thing John did so that your joy may be full. Verse 5, this is the message which... We have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light of his light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. Just three simple little points here I want to pull out from this text, and then one more we'll read in chapter 4. Eleven times in 1 through 7, he uses sensory words. We have seen, we have touched, we have handled. Now, he had the wonderful ability to see with his physical eyes and touch with his physical hands, but he uses more than that. We have heard, we have experienced in one translation all these sensory things about our relationship with Jesus. It's not something that someone else told us about. It's our experience. This is the thing about an experience. It's unarguable, right? An experience is not maybe, nor can it be. It is by definition, you have or you have not, right? You are sitting in gray chairs right now awake, hopefully, (laughs) or you are not, It is not some metaphysical universe where we don't know what reality is. You have or you haven't. John said, I have life because I have Christ. It is an experiential, verifiable fact. It's an experience that many of you have had. That's why you're here. Number one on your notes. Have you experienced his life in you? These are all questions today. Questions. 
It's not a maybe. It can't be I'm not sure. It's an experience between you and Jesus. Someone may have told you when you heard it first, but it's you and Jesus that encountered. Or I should say he encountered you and changed you. Do you hear these words? We've seen, we touch, we witness, we bear witness, we declare. Over and over and over, he says 11 different times just in these texts, I'm going to tell you about our experience with Jesus. And I want to tell you about our experience so that we can have stained glass and be reverenced as apostles and, oh, people that knew God so much better than you ever can? No. Why did he say it? So that you may have what? Fellowship just like we had. So you can have the encounter of life and life abundantly in Christ. So you can have an experience with God. Now, everyone's experience is sometimes different. Not everyone's, but there are many experiences. John, of course, got to see him face to face. Some of you have had dreams, visions, encountered the living God so strong he puts you on the floor, you know, which are wonderful and great. And I've had many God encounters in my life. I don't know the exact day I was saved. I was saved as a child. I knew Christ at six. I remember thinking very clearly, he is mine and I'm his. He's the savior of the world. I remember that very clearly. But I've had many wonderful encounters. But looking at the different people in world history, I was thinking about one. John Wesley is a man who changed the known world in England and really Europe altogether. Him and his brother, John and Charles Wesley, started a Methodist movement. Charles was a great um, hymn, hymn writer, right over a thousand hymns. You probably heard of many of his hymns. Well, his experience is really amazing because it's really not all that. It's like, okay, it's no, no Paul falling off of a donkey and seeing the light and everything. So he was a bit of a failed missionary in the U.S. and went back, and he, uh, <clears throat> he was really struggling with knowing who God is and what God wanted him to do, and he just started going to a prayer meeting. He just started going to a prayer meeting, and he's in a prayer meeting. Just they're studying the Word and praying, and this is his account. That in that moment, he says, I knew the reality of God. I asked him to forgive me of my sins. And this is what he said. I knew my sins were forgiven, that I was his and he is mine, and my heart was strangely warmed. You know, that's not going to make the, the 6 o'clock news. I mean, you're not even going to get a lot of likes on Facebook on that one, right? My heart was strangely warmed. Can't you get anything more dramatic? can you come on, do something more? It was his true experience, and he knew life. He experienced it. It changed his life. It directed his earthly life for his entire time. My heart was strangely warm. It changed him. So the question for all of you is, have you experienced his life in you? Not what someone told you, not what the pastor said, what you and Jesus have encountered. And you know you have life. Let's look at a couple of scriptures here. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. This is question Sunday. I'm going to ask you another question. You don't have to answer. Don't worry, we're not going to embarrass you. Don't stand up. It's all right. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Okay, that's someone communicating the gospel. Praise God. That's earthly means. In whom also having believed, you were what? Sealed with the Holy Spirit 
of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, when this was written, seals were done by a host of people, both government, military, and everyone in between, even legal documents. They were most often used by wax, melting. You've probably seen the old medieval times. Or they would take a letter, they would put wax on it, and they would have insignia and press into it and make an impression. He's saying that, yes, you heard the gospel, but it was your experience with the Holy Spirit, your encounter that made the impression, that changed you. It wasn't just hearing the gospel. It wasn't just of man. It was God alone who changes. It's God alone who presses into you and changes the heart of man. Amen? So he's saying, have you been sealed? Have you been sealed? And you'll know if that impression has been pushed into you. Oh, the wonderful cross. Let's turn a couple pages or swipe your app and look at chapter 430. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by, of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Pushed into, experienced, he encountered you. Nothing that man has done. So again, have you experienced his life? Life itself, him. There's one more in First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1. This even goes a step farther. So first he asks, have you been sealed in 2 Peter? I mean, so twice he asked in, in Ephesians. And then look at 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which by which have given, us to, have given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be, what does this say? Be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Well, this is almost more than a seal that he's pushed upon you. He's given you himself. He's given you his life. Life that doesn't come from anywhere on the planet, that doesn't come from any philosophy, from any religion. It's himself giving to you. Whoa, praise God. <laughs> this has been misinterpreted, obviously. Uh, the Mormons say this very wrongly, that you get to become a god. Um, that's popular in, in the Mormon that is a fact. That's what they think in the Mormon religion. It's just misunderstood. What is he saying? I give you. You don't become a God. I give you part of me. I give you and redeem you by my own life. Well, let's keep looking here. Go back to 1 John. So number one, have you experienced his life? Because he is life. He doesn't only give life, he is life. A noun, the very thing that is life. So John continues, he goes down and look at verse 5. We've read it now. So we read 1 through 7, let's look at verse 5. This is the message 
which we have heard from who? From who? Him. Not from a pastor, not from a preacher, not from anyone else, from God himself. In human form, with lips, 100% God and man, from him. And declare to you that God is light. He doesn't only give light. He doesn't only show light. He is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Literally, not even a speck. So not only have you experienced his life, Number two, has he, because it said has heard from him, has he given you the assurance of his light? There's all kind of wonderful tests in the Bible that verify what we believe. Because the world will constantly attack you, even the enemy, Satan, can attack your mind. Let me show you a beautiful scripture here, Ephesians 5.8. Go back to Ephesians 5.8. We have to look at this one closely. Oh, beautiful sound of pages turning, swiping. Ephesians 5.8, let's look at this. For you were once darkness. Wait, no, is something missing there? Shouldn't it say we're in darkness? You were once darkness, but now you are, shouldn't it say in the light? And there are scriptures that say that. That's wonderful. It doesn't say in, does it? You were darkness. If your King James Bible says sometimes, that means just in a time past, not you used to flux in and out. For you were once darkness, dead in our sins and trespasses, separated from God, right? We were dark, broken, without any light. But now you are like light, what? You are light in the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Walk as children of the light. You have been given the light of God himself. You were darkness, not only in darkness, you were darkness. I was darkness, right? But oh, through Jesus, I've not only been given light, I've been made light. Oh, this, that's like drinking the 44-ounce Slurpee in 10 seconds. Oh, my goodness, Lord. That is wonderful. Thank you, Lord. So my second question, has he given you the assurance of his light? Do you have it? The assurance that you are not darkness, you are light. All right, that's the first two nouns. So God is what? Life, and God is what? Light. The nouns of God. All right, last one to understand, and obviously they're all great. I don't know if we can demean or exalt one their work so beautifully and perfectly together now go just a couple pages over we've been in first john chapter one let's go to chapter four we're going to read seven through sixteen beloved i like that i like to listen to people who love me 
I will listen to anyone who loves me. I will sit there and let my kids fiddle around and talk about unicorns and do this and that until they, they can focus enough to talk to me. You know why? They love daddy. And I'm happy to sit there and deal with whatever issue or whatever it is, good day or bad, for anyone who loves me. Christians, this is a person writing to you with great love. Beloved. And in the most humble way I can, I love you. God loves you. This is a, if you're new with us, we have a wonderful congregation. These people love each other. They love you and whoever walks in that door or is in the parking lot or anywhere they can get to them. They love people. We should start conversations with, I just want you to know that I love you. Beloved, he starts. You know why he starts it like that? He's just so full of love. John is so full of the love of Christ. It's just coming out of him. He's just right and led by the Holy Spirit. And it's, of course, God is love. It just comes out in him. Oh, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone who loves God is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is the last noun. The third, God is love. In his love, in this, the love of God is, was manifest toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world and that we might live through him. In, thi in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, one, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his Holy Spirit. He's back to the seal again. This is someone else. Remember, Paul write, writes Ephesians, but they're all saying the same thing. It's just one God. He's back to the seal again that you would know. And we have seen and testified that the Father is back to seeing and testifying, and I experienced this, that the Father has sent the Son as a Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he is in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us, for God. For us, God is love. He says it again. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Number three on your notes. Simple question. Do you live in God's love? Living in God's love is a continual state of him being with you. He doesn't leave or forsake. It's not a place you get to and then try to stay in. We live in God's love through the cross. Do you live in God's love? As verse 16 says, and we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. He lives in it. It's a perpetual state of staying. 
It's like to live somewhere permanently is what the Greek's saying, to permanently stay somewhere, take up residence permanently. Now, there's a test right after this if you want to know that you're living in God's love, that you know him. And it's just in the, in the next few verses at 17 through 20. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because he, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Do you live in fear in your life? Do you have any fear when you think about where your life is going or what's going on in your life? And circumstances change, but do you have fear in your life? Often. But perfect love casts out all fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So the first one, if you know if you live in his love, is do you fear? Do you walk around with fear in your life? Like, I don't know what to do, or I don't know where to go, or what's going on in life. If I have him, I have love, and it casts out all that fear. And then the second test is right in the next verse. If someone says, I love God and I hate my brother, he's a liar, and, the, and he does not love his brother. How can he say he loves God and who he has not seen and loves his brother who he has? So the first one is, do you have fear? The second one is, do you hate anyone? Are you angry in your heart? Love and anger can't exist together. They won't function together. Three simple little questions concerning the nature of God. God is life, God is light, and God is love. Do you have his life? Do you have his light? Do you have his love? And it will, in, just in the shorter than me saying those words, you can answer yes or no. Remember, an experience is not a maybe. If I ask you if you've been to the beach, you don't have to think about it and go, well, I don't know. It's a yes or no, right? Those are good memories. That's a real quick. (laughs) You'd probably say, yeah, I wish I was there now again. And so these questions are. As soon as they come out of my mouth, your heart, your mind, and everything in you will cry, will scream, yes or no. And then you'll know if you know him or you don't. There's a short video we're going to end with. I was, uh, someone, a friend of mine sent it to me this week, and I was thinking about these people in the light of this sermon. This is Pakistan. In two weeks, it's like the International Day of Prayer for persecuted Christians around the world and stuff. And I, I want to get it on your radar, first of all. We need to be thinking about the world, thinking about brothers in Christ. Paul said, remember my chains. But I want you to watch their life. I want you to watch this short video to know to pray for them, and then we'll come and close this service. Go ahead. Hallelujah, 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 Kadus, 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 Balfad, Zamina Sman Kehal Kamalik, Tereshukada Kates Piermaka Kalidi to Niman Zanime Bakhdia, Tereshukada Kateakadana Subakeli Akadanda, Katunia Marizanime Baksha, Kenai Subadi Sakiakadanda, Akadan Tereshukada Katan Bachokeli Akadanda. 
Today in Pakistan, we Christians are second-class citizens. Though we have committed no crime, we are ostracized and banished to the lowest place in society. Often we are forced to leave our villages and our own homes. We cannot get good jobs. And we have no voice in government. What is left for us is servitude. Sewage work. And we know we will never advance. We have a church, a place where Christians come together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to sing His praise, to study His word. For while our country has turned its back on us, God has not. Sometimes it is not easy. The loss, the injustice. So please remember to pray for us. That we will continue to live together in fellowship. That we will continue to see the joy of the Lord in our lives that we will persevere in our faith no matter the cost. And please remember, we are praying for you. stand up. So my first thought, like many of you when I first saw that video, was frustration and pity, which is good. Those are normal, right? Oh, what can we do? They're in such a difficult place. But I watched that before my study day, 
And then I began to look at their life in light of the gospel. And I thought, this is unfortunate. This is difficult. But if they could have everything relieved from them, as Jesus said, what profit a man if he gained the whole world? We could fix their country, their financial problems, their physical problems, give them all up-to-date shots, fix all their ailments and everything. But they had not his life, his light, or his love. They have nothing. They are happier and better off than the vast majority and every millionaire and billionaire around the world who does not have Christ. They have Christ. They have life. They have true light. Oh, and they have his love. If they could, could Christians could be in complete po power in Pakistan, change everything around, or it's to say people like that, but have not Christ. What a horrible trait. Don't pity them. Thank God for them. Thank God that in the vast darkness of Islam and lost and massive that is the Middle East, the light of God is right there. In that little beautiful church, there's true life and true light and true love. Now I want to ask you, do you have what we talked about today? Do you have what they have? They have so little. Oh, but they have everything. Everything. Because they have him. Let's close our eyes. You and Jesus. His life, the life that only comes from the cross of Jesus. Have you been sealed by the Holy Spirit? Do you have the assurance of His light? And do you live in His love? And you will know that you know that you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord be with him in eternity whether you meet him tomorrow or in a hundred years and when I asked those questions for the last time was it a resounding yes yes thank you Lord or was it a oh I don't know him oh how I need him
don't know him. That can change today. Not by my words, but by the Holy Spirit. And you confessing your sins. And you saying, I'm lost. I am undone. I am without Christ. I'm without life. Without light and without His love. The Bible says, all those that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you say today, I am lost and without Him. I have so far less than all those people in the videos, video we just watched. It can change right now. You can cry out to Him. You can call out to Him. You can confess your sins. And cry out and say, oh, I need you, O oh Savior. As we close the service with heads bowed and eyes closed. Say, I don't know Him. I don't have that life, that light or that love. And you want to know Him. You're tired of living in darkness. You're tired of living without direction in your life. You're tired of the hurt and pain that sin brings. The loveless life that this world offers. Say, I'm done with this world. I want Jesus. I want you to raise your hand. Is there anyone like that today? heart is just beating but for eternal life you thank him now you thank him for light not only the sun that grows food and everything he's given us but the light of God himself that turns you from darkness into light you thank him and we must of course thank him for his love Oh, what love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Thank Him. Thank Him. Thank Him as an individual. We're going to thank Him corporately. We're getting ready to thank Him individually. thank them corporately. You can raise your hands if you'd like or whatever you want to do. We're going to pray and then close our service with thanksgiving. Lord, we thank you for all the attributes, all the words and so many which I did not even say that, that teach us, that proclaim who you are about you and your marvelous works. But God, just for a few minutes today, we focus in and we realize we're not only talking about an attribute, but the very thing you are, you are life. Oh, thank you, God. You are light. Oh, thank you, God, that you've changed us from darkness into your image, which is light. Oh, thank you. And Lord, you are love. Thank you that the love of the Father is ours that we live in it. It casts out all fear, all difficulty, all doubt. It casts out and is greater than any hurt or offense 
our mean word. We hate no one, Lord. But we're full of your love. Thank you, Lord. That just as, and this is our prayer, church, this is what you're leaving with today. This is what you're keeping, you're putting in your heart today. This is the altar call part. You're not going to come up. Lord, just as you are, in fact, life and light and love, you have made us that. We know it, we believe it, we receive it, Lord. Let us live our life in this fashion. Life, light, and love that comes from you. Thank you for it. We receive it. We live it. In Jesus' name, the name above all names. And everyone said, amen and amen. Now give him praise. Thank you so much for coming. If you are new with us, thank you for coming. So just a few things. We will be eating right after service out here. Please get your kids first. The bounce houses are, the little one is for the little ones. Five and under. The big ones is for, we have no age limit. So however young you're feeling, go for it. But you signed waivers when you walked in this building, if you hurt yourself, okay? (laughs) So please stay in and hang out with us. Enjoy the wonderful food and fellowship and just love that is here in this place with these people. All right. God bless you.